So I want to begin uh, with part of the Isaiah reading that we read earlier. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Some 700 years before the birth of Christ, we have this, well, to put it mildly, a very strong indication that God will become man. And when we read Luke's account of Jesus' birth, we discover how this plays out in space and time. These 20 verses uh, that we've read from Luke tell us an enormous amount about the God of the universe. So obviously we're going to need to simplify it, but you can look at four key things. So the four things, uh, God became human, God became vulnerable, God became known, and then the why. Why did God become human, vulnerable, and known? So firstly, God became human. We've picked up the story at the point where Jesus, where God is being carried in the womb of Mary, a Jewish girl of low standing, almost certainly a teenager, who was engaged to be married to a man called Joseph. And then Caesar Augustus issues this decree that a census should be taken, and Joseph has to return to his ancestral home in Bethlehem. He takes Mary with him. Now, due to the census, there would have been large numbers of people traveling around the region at that time, and it's likely that Mary and Joseph Uh, tagged on to a much larger group of people, so a caravan of carts and donkeys and people heading south towards Jerusalem. It would have been a much safer way to travel. To an onlooker, it would have seemed like their lives were being swept along by the current of human history, much like a cork bobbing around on the ocean. This is a very human story. Mary's pregnancy would have been like any other pregnancy, complete with uh, morning sickness and uh, tiredness and backache and all the rest of it. Jesus' birth uh, would have been precarious and messy, just like any other birth. I think of the carol, Away in the Manger, and the lyrics that go, and actually actually I ran this by Tissa and I sung this bit, and she said, don't sing to the congregation. Uh, So I'll spare you that bit, I won't sing it. (laughs) I'll take my wife's advice. But it says, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. What's that about? No crying he makes. Of course he cried. And he was sick on Joseph's shoulder. And he needed his nappy changed. Isn't it wonderful and strange and amazing that God needed to have his nappy changed? Jesus was a human baby. Not superhuman, human Jesus was and is the God-man, the man whose identity is God. He's 100% man and 100% God. You might say, well, that makes 200%. But that is the mystery of God coming into the world as a human being. And there is no aspect of our humanity that isn't fully present in Jesus. Incidentally, we don't count our sin as part of our humanity. I mean, sometimes we say, well, I'm only human, as if to say uh, that our sinful behavior is part and parcel of being human. Uh, And in a way it is, but it shouldn't be. Sin makes us less human, not more. And because Jesus didn't sin, 
It makes him more human than anyone who has ever lived. Jesus is the only perfect example of a human being. And that means that Jesus is able to fully identify with our human experience. That is when we're suffering, or why when we're suffering, uh, we can turn to God and know, we know that he understands. God is not aloof, looking down, indifferent to our plight. He's experienced life and birth and death and all that they entail. And isn't it appropriate that Jesus was born into a poor family, given that most people in the history of the world have been poor, relatively speaking? Even now, today, almost half of the world's population live on less than $2.50 per day. Having a big house full of stuff and a car and a holiday once a year, that is not the norm. That's not normal. When we look at what life has been like for the majority of people who have lived uh, down through the ages, we see that Jesus' experience of everyday life is in fact more normal than ours. Jesus was fully human. So the second thing, God became vulnerable. To be human is to be vulnerable. But God didn't need to become vulnerable. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once. It's astonishing that God would choose to take on flesh and blood. And the humble way that he came into this world is simply breathtaking. The other day I was reading to Isabel from her Jesus Storybook Bible. And I love the way it describes God coming into the world. It says this, everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness he came. You know, egotistical people like to make a grand entry, don't they? We've all been to a, or been at a party or a meeting that's underway, and then someone bowls in and really makes their presence felt. You know, they're loud and they're brash and they want to be the center of attention. Well, God has an absolute right to be the center of attention. And yet the way he came into this world was the complete opposite of that. And when we hear the word power, what do we think of? Now that's, that word's often got very negative connotations for us, hasn't it? We, we think of uh, dictators parading uh, soldiers and tanks and missile launchers outside uh, their palaces and state buildings. We think of fat cats getting rich off the backs of the poor. We think of egoism, corruption, abuse, control, cruelty and manipulation. The British historian Lord Acton uh, said power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But the only person with absolute power is God. And far from abusing his power, far from being corrupted by his power, he laid it to one side and put himself in a position of utmost vulnerability. We don't tend to associate weakness and vulnerability with power, do we? 
Donald Trump will soon become arguably the most powerful person on the planet. Can you imagine him staying in a hut in a Somalian village on his own with none of his security staff? It just wouldn't happen, would it? And yet here we have the creator of the universe entering into a world that is hostile towards him and being born in a place where animals were often kept. Incidentally, uh, nowhere in the Gospels is a stable actually mentioned. We only infer that uh, because we're told that Jesus was laid in a manger, which was a kind of stone feeding trough. We got a wooden one, but I couldn't very well ask uh, Stephen to chisel out a stone manger. That would have been a bit much. Uh, but it's likely that the, the word that we've translated in was not some kind of ancient hotel, but more the, the upper room of a house where people normally lived. The downstairs room would have been uh, kind of like a multi-purpose room where animals were sometimes kept, hence the manger. Uh, and that is most likely where uh, Mary and Joseph were lodged. Were there animals in there when Jesus was born? We don't know. Probably not. Who owned the house? Almost certainly not the innkeeper that features uh, in nativity plays with dogged persistence. It more likely belonged to one of Joseph's relatives. Remember, his ancestral home was in Bethlehem. He would have had links there. He would have most likely known people there. People get very excited about these details. But what's important is that God became a vulnerable baby and he was born into a very humble situation. And Luke, with his mention of Caesar Augustus and the census, is hinting that there's going to be a clash of two kingdoms. God's kingdom, in its apparent weakness, insignificance and vulnerability, is going to be confronted by the kingdoms of this world. In the first instance, it's going to be confronted by the might of the Roman Empire. And this becomes clearer still when we understand that Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And when Julius Caesar died, Caesar Augustus established uh, what is often called the imperial cult, which is where people had to worship the Roman emperor as God. So uh, Caesar Augustus declared that his late father, Julius Caesar, was God, which naturally made him son of God. So we have Jesus, the true son of God, being born uh, in the lower room of a very modest dwelling in Bethlehem. And we have Augustus Caesar, the self-proclaimed, self-styled son of God, living in a palace in Rome. And Luke is hinting that there's going to be a clash of these two kingdoms. But we're going to save that one till Easter. So next, we see that God became known. By becoming human, by becoming vulnerable, God makes himself known in the clearest possible terms. For the first time in history, God had a face. We don't know what Jesus looked like. Almost certainly not the uh, long-haired, pale, Victorian Jesus that we see in so many paintings. But God could be known by human beings face to face. But why did God make himself known in this particular way? I mean, if God wanted to be known by us, surely there must have been another way, an easier way, a less risky way. Well, the best I've heard it explained, actually, was um, by a Catholic priest at a school assembly in London. And he got all the children to cough on their thumb. 
And then he said they had a tiny microscopic bug on their thumb. And he named his bug Billy the Bug. And he got all the children to name theirs. And then he said, how would you communicate with your bug? Uh, Someone suggested talking, but it was agreed that that would be too loud. Probably blast the bug off the thumb. They wouldn't know where it was coming from. It would be bewildering. Someone suggested putting uh, something on the big screen. But that would be too much for this little bug to take in. Uh, it, it, it'd just be incomprehensible. And there were various other uh, quite imaginative and interesting suggestions until one little girl put her hand up and she said, you could shrink yourself down to be the size of the bug. God wants to be known. He wants you to know him. And he has gone to extraordinary lengths to make this possible. So now we come to the why. Why did God become human? Why did he become vulnerable? Why did he become known? Well, we see the answer in the angel's greetings to the shepherds. He said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Put in the simplest possible terms, Jesus came to save us. And as we saw last week, he came to save us from the enemies of sin and death. What's more, he came to save everyone. The invitation is open to everyone. And God makes that clear right from the start. You know, in the Bible, shepherds are always portrayed in a positive light. But in some later rabbinic writings, they're described as being dishonest and untrustworthy. And by Jesus' day, uh, they were held in such contempt that they weren't even allowed to give evidence in a court of law. And yet God chose a group of shepherds to be the first people to come and celebrate the birth of his son. I love that. It is such a clear statement that Jesus is for everyone. When the angel said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, he really did mean all the people. Jesus came for the shepherds. Jesus came for the poor and the lost and the broken and the marginalized and the people that this world despises. He also came for the people that this world reveres and holds in high esteem. He came for everyone. Jesus came for you. He became human for you. He became vulnerable for you. He wants to be known by you. He came to save you and I from sin and death. And he did it because he loves you. That is the message of Christmas. That is what we're celebrating today. I wonder how will we respond to Jesus this year? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here today because we want to separate Jesus from Christmas trees and tinsel and wrapping paper and acknowledge that he is not the same thing. This is the most incredible event in all of human history. And we're full of wonder and awe and excitement that you would come into the world in the person of your son Jesus 
to be known by us, to get alongside us. And we pray that you'll open our eyes to this truth more than ever this Christmas and help us to see what this really means for our lives in the here and now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.